It loses Mulligan. Right field. This may do it. Rounding third and scoring the winning run. And Japan and Kitasuda have won an unprecedented fourth Little League World Series championship. Well, hats off to Texas, but what a performance, not only today, but in this entire Little League World Series by that team from Japan. Now here's your host, Alex Dreisick. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world Welcome back to Moose's Mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Dreisack. Excited to bring you another great week. So we're going to start you off with recent highlights in sports. Ollie Williams has the story. Ollie, I'm at the wrong airport! Oops, well, thanks, Ollie. The Kyrie Irving deal finally came official. Questions of Isaiah Thomas's hip stalled the deal, but an extra second-round pick from Boston all the way in 2020 was enough to get it done for the Cavaliers. You got yourself a deal! Pulling into the last month of the MLB regular season, Justin Verlander's deal to Houston finally happened, even with some speed bumps, but we'll talk about this later in the show. Also in the MLB, there are still eight teams considered to be in contention for the two AL wildcard spots, while there's been no change in division leaders as the Red Sox, Indians, and Astros hold control. Same goes in no change for the NL, as the Nationals, Cubs, and Dodgers lead their respective divisions. Boring! And the NL wildcard... The only really team threatening the Rockies and Diamondbacks is the Brewers, but it looks like the D-backs and Rockies will battle it out to see who gets home field for that wildcard game. College football kicked off this week, and the NFL is set to kick off with an awesome game this Thursday, September 7th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time as the Chiefs visit the defending champ, New England Patriots. And lastly, the Japanese Little League team from Tokyo took home the Little League title from Lufkin Little League, which was from Texas. And this leads right into our topic that I wanted to start the show with this week. So in Little League Baseball, it's become apparent that the country of Japan has found a very successful way to raise Little Leaguers up. This is pretty obvious to me after the shellacking they put on Texas, 12-2 in 5 innings. In the last 8 years, Japan's won 5 Little League titles, with the United States only taking 2 in that time. But what does Japan do with their Little Leaguers that puts them so much farther ahead than these other kids around the globe? And is what they do to get ahead worth it, in a sense, or is it in the best interest of the kids? Let's take a look at it. Japan is very well known for emphasizing the importance of the fundamentals of the game. Their players spend hours focusing on technique to field a ground ball, catch a fly ball, and communicate around the diamond together. They have 8-10 to hour practices every Saturday and Sunday, and every morning is devoted to only fielding practice. This is things like fielding bunts, turning double plays, and learning how to field what seems like any ground ball that could possibly happen. Now this practice style is what has given them such an advantage over the last 8 years in Little League. And this domination isn't like Taiwan... In the 70s and 80s, Taiwan had won 12 titles in 15 years. There was a lot of controversy with that team because, first of all, the ages were questioned. They didn't have correct birth certificates for most of those kids. So some of them could have honestly been 15 playing against 12-year-olds. 
This guy's 50. He's got a mustache. Not according to Bert's certificate. He's got documentation. Play ball! And also, hundreds of thousands of kids could play for one little league in Taiwan. It was way too big demographically. It would be like taking all of Southern California and putting the best kids on one team together. But these Japan teams are a different story, though. They've been dominating the rules and the scorebook. So the question becomes in whether what the kids do to get this far ahead of the other kids. Is this in the best interest of the kids? And every time I watch these kids play or see a video of them practicing, they look so focused at the task at hand, and they usually have a smile on their face. So for how old they are, this is very impressive. And they all seem to be enjoying it. And if they enjoy being at the ball field for eight-plus hours, I'm not going to stop them. They seem to understand the process of learning the fundamentals to become better ball players. That's pretty impressive for 12-year-olds. People may say that eight to ten hours every Saturday and Sunday is just too much for a 12-year-old to handle. But these Japanese Little League teams have every right to continue doing this with the current rules the Little League World Series has. And honestly, with everything I've seen, I'm totally fine with them doing it. I'm fine with these practices. The question in my mind that's really coming up is, what are the USA Little League teams supposed to do about it? So we're talking about how the United States Little League teams can compete with the Japanese Little League teams that seem to be so far ahead of them. And so far I think we've established that these Japanese practices are much more efficient in teaching the fundamentals and are much better ran. It's pretty obvious the Japanese Little League teams spend more time devoted to baseball practices. So how can the U.S. compete with this? And with that, I mean, unless the Little League board steps in to limit Japanese team practices, that's one option. But are the U.S. kids willing to give into the commitment needed to do what these Japanese Little Leaguers do? I'm not so sure with the amount of electronic distractions and time spent at home here in the U.S. Plus, I think this also falls on the coaching a little bit for Little League teams. These coaches for Japan preach the fundamentals they are taught. It's handed down. It's not a personal thing. And I think these coaches in the U.S. are responsible for their practices. They're in charge of putting these kids in the best position to succeed. And sometimes they focus on themselves a little too much in their coaching style, which can get in the way of player development. These coaches would have to commit to working on the fundamentals of the game so much more than they are currently. That would mean going against some of the personal opinions of the game they have. And honestly, most literally coaches are pretty stubborn when it comes to these teaching tactics. So what's the point I'm trying to get at here? The United States Little League teams, I don't think they're committed enough to do what these Japanese Little League teams do. So what are they supposed to do about it? They have to commit to making adjustments themselves. They need to make the adjustments to what they are currently doing. And if they don't make the adjustments, then don't complain about Japan's Little League team winning the Little League World Series. They're just going to continue to dominate. They're going to continue to do it right for Little League. And, you know, they're just going to keep winning. And if you want to continue to be embarrassed by them, continue to get just mercy ruled in a championship game, and honestly, no team threatened Japan in that whole tournament. If you want this to continue going on, then let's just keep doing what we're doing. 
But for the U.S., I feel like there's a little more pride than that. And honestly, I think they can make the adjustments. The question is, will they? And it's definitely not a lack of talent in the U.S. We definitely have a lot of talented baseball players, which gives me hope that this adjustment will happen and the United States can find their way back to the top of the Little League World Series consistently. Now, I want to talk about the MLB going forward towards the playoffs, but first we're going to take a quick break here on Moose's Mulligans. This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligans website. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now back to your host, Alex Dreisnick. All right, back here at Moose's Mulligans, we're going to get into the topic of Major League Baseball. Now, what's dominating headlines lately was the deal for Justin Verlander as he was traded from the Detroit Tigers to the Houston Astros. I think this deal is more interesting than what it shows in the cover. Uh, Justin Verlander was pretty hesitant to give up his no-trade clause from Detroit, and he did face some scrutiny for that. Especially from Astro fans who said, what, do you not want to compete for a World Series? Astro fans definitely want him to help them compete for a World Series. So when this deal was finally worked out, obviously the Tigers will be taking a lot of that contract on. Verlander, over the next few years, has a lot of money owed to him. But the Astros were still able to get the deal done with the Tigers on a, on Thursday night. So... Verlander has come out and now said that he couldn't be more excited to join the Astros, and he's looking forward to getting started right away. We now know he'll be starting Tuesday at Seattle for his Houston debut. He said he's committed to making an impact off the field, especially during these difficult times. So, that's where the big thing in this trade comes in. Verlander leaves Detroit, where he's been the face of the franchise, basically. It's, you know, with Miggy struggling this year, he's definitely been... A Tiger's whole career compared to Miggy, who started in Florida. But he's really been the face of the Tigers. And now he's going to Houston, which, with the Tropical Storm Harvey, is going through a lot right now. The baseball team also has been struggling a little bit and shown some of their weaknesses in Kryptonites going into the playoffs. So this gives Justin Verlander both an amazing chance... And also a very scary chance here. So, the way I see it is, Justin Verlander comes to the Astros with them in desperate need of him to be that ace material he's been showing lately, and he's definitely shown in the past. We always joke that he's his own closer. He throws harder at the end of the game than the beginning. But with the Tropical Storm Harvey, it makes it really interesting because here's a town going through a very difficult situation right now. And now they get this very stellar arm, who's thrown two no-hitters in his career, by the way, to help lead them in their playoff run. So Justin Verlander does have the potential to do something super special in Houston if he can help them get that World Series title this year. It would mean something a lot more this year. Now, if he doesn't, that's the scary thing. 
I mean, he actually could be open to be traded again in the offseason, which could lead to another issue like when he was being talked about traded from Detroit with his no-trade clause. Also, there's the issue if things don't go well in Houston and things have been on a decline a little bit right now. And honestly, it looks more like their playoff situation is less favoring them than more favoring them. So it's going to be a tough playoff road for them. I, I Right now, it's going to be tough for me to see them beating the Indians it's tough for me to see them even beating the Red Sox, who have been impressing lately. But it all comes down to if Justin Verlander is like he was when he was 28 years old and winning an MVP in Cy Young, then he does have the ability to do something extremely special in Houston. It's very rare that someone can be so big in two cities in their career, let alone one. Like the guy says, you're going to eat lightning. Well, while we're on the topic of the MLB, I wanted to also take a look at the National League, and this playoff run is getting closer and closer. So, obviously, everyone's going to say the Dodgers are the front runner in the NL right now. When you're on a record pace season and you get swept for the first time in the entire season in August, people are going to look highly on your team. But I don't know if they're built for the playoffs. You add Darvish, but he's got to stay healthy. You add Kershaw. If he's now back, he pitched this weekend for the first time in a month. If he can stay healthy. And you've got a lot of guys overperforming. You've got Chris Taylor overperforming. Justin Turner's hitting over 360, I swear. It's crazy. And Cody Bellinger has been overperforming for his rookie year. The question is, does it catch up to the Dodgers? I mean, obviously, if it doesn't catch up to them, then they can win the World Series. But if it does catch up to them, will it be enough to knock them out of the playoffs? And I think yes. I look at teams like the Nationals. They've lost Adam Eaton, Trey Turner, but Trey Turner's just coming back now for them. And they've added to make a more stable bullpen, which has really impressed me. The Nationals look good. They look really good, and I, I thought by the time Turner and Eaton were out, they were they were screwed, but they're doing a good job. The team I'm really looking at is the Diamondbacks. You know, not a lot of teams have what they have, and not many people are talking about them. you got Zach Greinke, Robbie Ray, Zach Godley. You've got a lineup that goes Pollock, Peralta, Goldschmidt, Lamb, Martinez to start it off. And it's just like good luck against that. You know, Pollock plays a good defense in center. J.D. Martinez has been unbelievable at the plate. And, you know, Paul Goldschmidt is one of those weird, crazy, athletic guys that can seem to do anything. And I think this playoffs is our chance to finally see how good Paul Goldschmidt really is. He's finally going to show us how much he really means to that team. And, hey, if they beat the Dodgers, I mean, then that'll definitely show that Paul Goldschmidt is the real deal and that he should be considered the NL MVP. Otherwise than this, I, I don't think the Cubs are the Cubs. I mean, their pitching looks like it finally got exposed. Last year it looked like they rode John Lackey and Kyle Hendricks, and Arietta was able to bounce back at the end of the year. This this year there's there's not much to ride for them right now. Jose Quintana had like two good starts on the first part of his trade over, but lately it's been a struggle. Uh, the Cubs are winning their division, but looking at that division, I'm not sure that's a lot to be proud of. 
I'm I'm not as worried about the Cubs threatening the Dodgers or Diamondbacks or even the Rockies from that division or the Nationals, but you know, there's always that chance that they get hot at the right time. Any of these teams can get hot here at the end of the year and make a serious playoff run. As of right now, for the playoff predictions I've written before on our website, I'm going to stick with the Indians-Nationals World Series right now. That seems like a good matchup to me and very likely. The only thing I'm starting to regret is my Royals and Yankees picks in that wild card spot. The Twins and Angels are really impressing me. And, you know, I, I'm not sure whoever comes out of that wild card spot now that Justin Verlander is an Astro, it's going to be a tough matchup. Alright, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out at facebook.com slash moosesmulligans and twitter.com slash moosesmulligans. Don't forget we're on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio now. So make sure to catch us at any of those three locations. New episode will be at you again next Sunday. And until next week, remember, fairways and greens, no mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Dryzak. Have a good week.